0: Talk. plain talk. talk. Mike Graham.
1: The only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Online on DAB Plus, Talk Radio and Talk TV.
2: Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV, the one place to go if you want sense, and that is common sense, the one place to go if you want the truth, and that is the whole truth, nothing but the truth, because this is what we do uh, here at Talk TV. Uh, We're here of course until one o'clock, the sun is shining, a little bit of a blue sky out there, Uh, the rain has passed for the moment, Uh, the sun is shining in fact on the pickets, the pickets outside hospitals up and down this country only about a quarter of them though, of course, are actually out on strike, because an awful lot of proper nurses, an awful lot of real nurses an awful lot of people who actually care about the community are not walking off the job they're not leaving their posts. they're not actually refusing to help sick people they're actually doing what they are paid to do which is to nurse to nurse people back to health people are called nurses not so that they can stand on picket lines calling Tory party members scum not so that they can stand on picket lines demanding that they get more money or people will die because that's ladies and gentlemen where we are right now Plea to end strikes as NHS faces meltdown. How about the front page of The Sun this morning? A&E, call a taxi. Because tomorrow we're going to have ambulance drivers on strike. So if you want to get to hospital really better if you can make your own way there. Uh, However, though, the problem that is going to persist is that people who are suffering uh, from various ailments, including strokes, including heart attacks and including very, very serious emergencies, are not going to be able to get to hospital. And once they get to hospital, there might be a strike going on so they won't get treated anyway. Is this really what we have become in this country? People are blaming the Tory government. I say the unions should call off the strike right now. They should go back to work and they should do anything within their power to make sure that people who turn up looking for treatment in the hospital on a day-to-day basis get it. I don't think that's too much to ask. Is it? 0344 We're going to talk about British gas this morning because pensioners are being deserted by British gas. Some people paying an awful lot of money uh, to have their boilers insured, only to find that when their boilers do break down and they have no heating and no hot water, British gas has completely and utterly abandoned the service and they can't get the thing fixed. They have to actually hire their own plumber uh, or their own electrician to sort a problem out that they have paid good money to British Gas to actually fix. So British Gas are in the naughty corner today. Also, we're gonna talk about Christmas rail strikes because guess what? The RMT say Christmas Eve is the next strike day. Trains are gonna stop running basically from about 8 a.m. So if you're trying to get anywhere on Christmas Eve, Just forget about it. 0344 499 1000. We'll talk a bit about Rwanda as well. We've got a great line-up this morning. We've got Laura Dodsworth here. We've also got Jonathan Gullis MP who's going to be talking about his asylum seekers bill to try and make sure that the Rwanda plan actually works. And first up, uh, I'm delighted to say we've got Susan Hall, Chair of the Police and Crime Committee at the London Assembly because, indeed, we have got some breaking news for you. Just now, Sadiq Khan is to seek an historic third term as London Mayor as if by accident. Of course he's announced it on my show because that's when everything happens. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. Can London afford another term from Sadiq Khan? Is it even allowed? For heaven's sake, Susan Hall, we've got to stop it. Uh, we of course want to hear from you because you are the people that keep us going. You are the people whose voices and whose views we represent. Nobody else cares about you the way that we do and we want to know what you think so we can tell absolutely everybody else. 0344 don't forget, yesterday we were talking an awful lot about those missing parcels. Hashtag, where's my parcels? So we'll keep those stories coming as well. Uh, if you're waiting for something and you're getting messed around, we will try and fix that for you. I'm Mike Graham. This is the Independent Republic. Let's get it on. Yeah. This is the independent Republican Mike Graham. Now, uh, I don't want to in any way big up this show, but I have to say that some politicians will do anything uh, to try and derail it, do anything to try and get on it. Um, some people we like, some people we don't like. Somebody we like very much is Susan Hall. Susan, I've got to say a very good morning to you. I mean, Sadiq Khan's so annoyed that you've come on that he's declared himself ready to run for a third term. <laughs> uh, yes, not, not
3: good news, is it? Not good, good news for anybody. It's a very unhappy
2: Christmas, I think that.
3: Oh, well, it certainly is for me, but uh, I should think for a lot of Londoners as well, whenever I tweet something uh, against Khan, I get uh, masses of uh, response to that. So very depressing. I've only just seen it just come through on Ros Little's Twitter.
2: I didn't even know. I mean, you'll be able to help me with the constitutional aspects of this. I wasn't aware that he could run for a third term.
3: No, most people seem to think that you can't have a third term, but no, apparently you can. No, well, let's on. hope he doesn't. Though, let's hope he doesn't.
2: Yes. Well, I mean, I mean, I think he was quite surprised that Sean Bailey came as close as he did last time, and I wonder whether um, there might be an opportunity this time for your party to actually put up a candidate, uh, get the support that he deserves from from the main central party, and maybe maybe actually do him over.
3: Well, I hope so. I think we'll be selecting early next year, so let's. Let's see who wants to um, put their head above the parapet Mm. and go for it best job, in my view, in the whole of the country, but uh, because you've got four years where you can really make a difference. You know, roll your sleeves up, make a difference, unlike Khan. Can
2: I say, in four years, he has really made a great difference. He's completely brought London to a standstill. He's made it almost impossible for people to operate uh, as businesses in this uh, city. Many of them have closed down as a result of his ridiculous policies on transportation. Uh, He's now extending the ULES zone uh, just in time for his new run at the Mayor's office, which will put an awful lot of people into poverty and uh, which will affect an awful lot of carers.
3: Well, I think the ULES will surprise him at just how many people don't want it. Mm. Um, people may have cars that are compliant, but lots of us that live on the, uh, in the boroughs on the outskirts of London, we've got friends or relatives or carers that come into London to look after us, see us, all the rest of it. Um, and they'll be very badly affected. I mean, also under calm, we mustn't forget, we've got the Metropolitan Police under special me- measures. We've mm. got the London Fire Brigade under special measures. I mean, it, the list goes on and on. He's he's a dreadful mayor.
2: He really is, and he hasn't done a good job at all. But then it gets, it is up to you guys to get him out there as well, Susan, isn't it?
3: Well, it's also up to the voters to, to look and see if they want to look for something different in London. I would implore them to look for something different in London because we want somebody that would love to do the job, that mm. knows how big the job is and what a difference you can make.
2: Yes, well, all he seems to care about is clean air. He's obsessed with having this sort of clean air conversation all the time, isn't he?
3: It's because everything else he touches is a disaster. Mm. The only thing that has slightly improved is uh, air in inner London. The Eules put in in outer London will make virtually no difference at all, but he's on his high horse over that. So. Yes.
2: Well, if the air's improved in central London, it must be nothing to do with the congestion, because the cars that sit hour after hour after hour not moving anywhere, surely must not be creating decent air and But if they're not contributing to worse air, then it's obviously nothing wrong with the car exhausts.
3: Well, that's right, but if he took the millions and millions of pounds that he's spending on cameras, et etc, and put it into cleaning up the bus fleets, mm. which just spew out. Uh, all sorts of oxides. Um, if he if he actually did that, then he'd make a big difference.
2: Mm, absolutely that, right.
3: Loads of cameras in.
2: Let's talk about the big story of the day, which is the nurses' strike, of course. I just walked past, as I did last week, Guy's Hospital. There was fewer people out there on the picket line than there were uh, the week before. I think the nurses have got this slightly wrong. I think they haven't got the support that they're claiming. An awful lot of people, certainly people that we talk to here at Talk TV, are fed up with uh, a lot of these public sector pay demands. You know, they get reasonably well paid for a very difficult job. Um, Everybody says that uh, uh, it's not about money, but they're really damaging the NHS even more, are they not?
3: Well, yes, they are. And I think think their union has made a big mistake. I think they thought... If they said, right, we'll go for nineteen percent, the government are compromised, therefore we'll get far more than we would do if we went in with a sensible um request. And of course it's backfired on and because the, the government just cannot afford to pay nineteen percent um a pay increase, it's it's absolutely ludicrous. And I think there's a lot of politics behind all this with the unions. Uh, to try and bring the government down, but the government has got to stand firm. I'm afraid. Yes. Uh, no, we know what a wonderful job they do. There's no doubt about that. As do lots of other people. Who do incredible jobs, but 19%. Anybody with any sense knows that it's just not realistic.
2: No, I mean, you say they do a wonderful job and I'm not going to uh, pick on individual nurses or individual hospitals, but the NHS overall does not do a wonderful job. The NHS doesn't do a very good job of anything at all. There's 10 million people waiting on a secondary waiting list. There's 7 million people waiting on an initial first waiting list. There's 17 million people waiting to be seen. Now, you might argue that that's all down to the government. I'm not one of those who says that. I think it's down to mismanagement by the NHS uh, and I think something has to be done to change it. It's very more money at the nurses isn't the answer.
3: Well, I, I completely agree. Um, I think you could just throw more and more billions to it, which is what we do. It's a black hole. Um, it is management of it. The trouble is when any politicians go near it, say we're going to reform or we're going to do something drastic to make this better. Um, of course, if the Conservatives do, then Labour scream they're trying to get rid of the NHS. You um, you know and they'll use it as a political football which makes the conservative politicians more nervous around it. But the truth is it's got to be reforms. Things have got to change in it because uh, where we are at the moment is not working.
2: There is currently a health and social care committee going on, which we'll go to at some point, hopefully in the next uh, 15 to 20 minutes, on nurses' strikes and ambulance delays. Uh, Professor Julian Redhead, a National Clinical Director for Urgent and Emergency Care at NHS England, is there alongside several other people, including a couple of union leaders uh, and colleges uh, of paramedics. But the bottom line is the ambulance service at the moment, even as described by the people who run it, uh, is in is in a terrible state. You'd have to wait minimum one hour sometimes for a sort of Category 1 problem. Um, and it just, you know, there's no part of the NHS, it seems to me, that works. Have a look at this. Chris in Newbury has sent me this text. Mike, the NHS didn't care about strokes, cancer, mental health or any other disease for the last two years. Where is the nation's health disaster, so Professor Chris Whitty, and his 5pm press conference to tell the nation how many people are going to be killed by NHS strikes? Where are all the health modellers or is death caused by COVID the only reason he or they take to the airwaves it's a good point you know we were told every single day how many people were dying of covid but as a result of all of those lockdowns and the way the nhs dealt with it we've now got an even worse situation
3: well we have i mean as an example my son was trying to get hold of 111 um because his daughter's poorly my granddaughter's Mm. poorly um over an hour wait for 111 and then i lost count of how long it was before the doctor called yes Um, you know you're looking at you particularly need to look at vulnerable people and young children you know that what they're being put through at the moment it's Mm. really it isn't good enough and nurses to to be demanding 19 percent, they know the government cannot agree to that it's 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 ludicrous Absolutely ludicrous.
2: Yeah. Let's have a quick look at this um, government committee that's going on currently. It's the Health and Social Care Committee where nurses' strikes are currently being uh, discussed.
4: Thank you very much, Rachel. And I just wanted to follow up on what you've been saying because as local MPs, we will work closely with chief executives of the ambulance, our local ambulance service. I'm a West Midlands MP. I have heard since the start of this year exactly what you have been saying. I've been passing that on to government via ministers. Um, West Midlands Ambulance Service experienced 44,000 lost hours in one month um, waiting outside hospitals. And what has really frustrated me is that, like you say, no one has been listening. You've explained how you've tried to get the voices of your members heard. I just wonder, um, Professor Redhead, Are you hearing that message? Do you understand what Rachel's saying? Do you understand what I'm saying about what's happening on the front line? We're just just
2: watching the Health and Social Care Committee uh, here today in the Houses of Parliament. We'll come back to that very shortly. We're also talking to Susan Hall, Chair of the Police and Crime Committee at the London Assembly. We've just had the breaking news that Sadiq Khan has announced that he wishes to run for an historic third term uh, as London Mayor. All of that coming next, right here at Talk TV.
1: The home of common sense. Talk radio and Talk TV.
2: Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We're talking to Susan Hall, chair of the Police and Crime Committee. Uh, just before we started having a conversation, the news broke uh, that here we've got Sadiq Khan, uh, the Mayor of London, seeking an historic third term. But let's talk a little bit about the Metropolitan Police that he is titularly in charge of as well. Uh, as we watch the, um, uh, the select committee from the Health and Social Care Department here at uh, the House of Commons having a meeting this morning and listening to evidence about the strikes and about the ambulance drivers and all the rest of it, uh, that man you can see that I think, uh, is, of course, the um, uh, the man in charge of the ambulance brigade. Uh, and he'll be giving his evidence as paramedics uh, go on strike tomorrow. Today, it's, of course, a strike by the nurses. Um, there seems to have been a significant rise in burglary response, according to the Metropolitan Police, Susan. What's that down to?
3: Well, uh, Sir Mark has insisted that... Um, when somebody has a burglary that the local police go and see them and I think that's the right thing to do I'm very pleased with that because if nothing else it shows the human face of the local police mm. to people that wouldn't know them I mean I'm lucky I I know mine and I will stop, uh, stop the car if I pass them and say hello um, and we really want more and more interaction between the public and the police so I'm very pleased to hear about this. This is good news.
2: Yeah, it absolutely is. I've got some other good news for you. Joanne from Croydon has sent us a message. She says, Mike, please ask Susan Hall if she'll consider standing for mayor. She will be amazing and will be the first female mayor. It's a good point, actually. About time you had a female mayor, isn't it? I, j-
3: I just think we need a competent mayor, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's very sweet of your, um, your viewer. But um, we, we do need somebody that realises just what a fantastic job it would be and, and be prepared to work like hell for four mm. years to try and put some of these things right. Yes. Really do.
2: And just to go on a sort of broader um, conversation about the whole situation with, um, uh, with the unions and all the strikes that are going on around us, it seems as though every public sector organisation is on strike at this moment in time. I find it very hard to believe that much of this is not politically driven.
3: I think it is politically driven. I think they want to, to, to start reflecting a winter of discontent, as us recall, mm. uh, and, and to try and bring the government down. Well, I mean, it, we are in dire straits anyway. We have come through a, an a epidemic. Um, businesses are just beginning to recover. And yet then the railway workers go on strike. So people can't come into London and spend their money um, in the hotels or in the shops, uh, it, it's just so disruptive. Um, they don't stop to think of other workers that if they were to go on strike, it wouldn't make a mm. big difference to other people. Um, so they use their power in that way. Yeah. I think they're just absolutely appalling. And I wish when there was a strike, we'd actually all be told what wages those people are on. Yeah. There's so many times you turn on television programs, not talk TV, talk TV says it as it is. But you turn on the other TV programs and you see um, shows of people saying, oh, I can't afford this and I haven't got that. We're not aware of what bone uh, if they're claiming any benefits or what wages they're earning or their circumstances. And perhaps if we did, we'd really feel for them and have more empathy. But as it is, you get no detail. You're just told that these people can't afford this Mm. or that. And we either need to feel great sympathy and understanding, but we don't have any context with with all these stories we're given. There's no context at all.
2: Well, I think what we know is that there's an awful lot of lies being told by an awful lot of union leaders, including Pat Cullen, uh, the woman who runs the Royal College of Nursing, who insisted on question time the other night that she knows of nurses who are so hungry that they are eating food Uh, left left over on plates by patients inside wards. Now, one, I don't believe that's true for a second. And two, I mean, I've seen hospital food. It's not brilliant. But also uh, what you wouldn't be doing, surely if you were a nurse, was eating food uh, in a a place which might be contaminated. You just wouldn't be doing it.
3: Well, you wouldn't think so, would you? But you Mm. see, she can make a claim like that. And there's there's no... Nobody
2: challenged it. Not one person on Question Time challenged it.
3: Absolutely right, because it would be deemed to be wrong to challenge these Mm. things. But if people say things, they they need to be backing them up. You know, very often we have to. Mm. You know, if you're in the public eye, you have to really challenge things or be prepared to... And what we don't,
2: I mean, one of the things we don't hear, for example, about the nurses conversation is that nurses are on a 36 and a half hour week. So any time they do over that is overtime, at which they get time and a half. They also have a very good pension contribution coming from the state by way of a public sector donation, effectively. Um, And 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 their terms and conditions in terms of time off that they get, sick pay that they get is unheard of in the private sector. And none of that is ever put into context.
3: Well, very often people in the public sector have never worked in the private sector. So they think that everybody's entitled to everything. Mm. They don't stop to think all too often of who is it that's paying for this. And it's people not only in the public sector, it's people in the private sector who don't benefit from these wonderful pensions Mm. or all the other things that private sector, uh, that public sector
2: benefit. And job security, amongst other things. Finally, um, Susan, we had a very interesting day yesterday. We talked to people who were waiting for parcels and who had been told their parcels were on their way or who had been told their parcels had been delivered, even though uh, they had seen neither hide nor hair of them. Um, Have you got a parcel story for us?
3: I I am waiting for some drill bits (laughs) and I've been waiting for these drill bits for three days because I've got to put a television on the wall Mm. and my hammer drill was not working properly with my drill bits so I've ordered these new ones and this company keeps saying they're on their way, they're on their way, well I've got to I've got to put this thing up on the wall, so I'm I'm pulling my hair out. It's
2: frustrating, isn't it? i they giving you one of those, um, you know, status updates that doesn't move? Because I saw a lot of those yesterday where some guy had one from 2nd of December. He's like, it says status out for delivery and it hasn't moved.
3: Well, I tell you what made me laugh. I was um, waiting for, um, obviously, this is panic buying, panic Christmas buying, yeah. but here, yeah, Mike. So, I, you know, I'm always in this state at this time of year and the sleigh on this well-known um delivery company was stuck eight stops away i thought great and then the world cup started <laughs> and the sleigh did not move <laughs> and the sleigh never got here so <laughs> obviously i mean it literally stopped as the world um as the world cup started yeah. so i i was not happy no. i've got lots. I'm I'm not
2: surprised. I'm not surprised. Absolutely ridiculous situation. Susan, good to talk to you. And a very Merry Christmas, I don't see you. Susan Hall, chair of the Police and Crime Committee at the London Assembly. The news, of course, shockingly, uh, that Sadiq Khan wants to run for a third term as mayor. Let's go down, though, before we take a break to the Health and Social Care Committee, where they're discussing nurses' strikes and ambulance delays. Um,
4: Demand on resources. Targets are just a number now because they know they can't meet them, regardless of how much effort they put into their working day they know they're being prevented from meeting the targets and i think the reason for that is you know demand for ambulances has risen 10 times faster than the level of resources so it's just becoming impossible to possibly meet all the demand that the public are wanting from their ambulance service we've seen call volumes go up by 80 percent since 2010 And when you've got 133,000 vacancies across the entire NHS, there just aren't the individuals there to be able to respond to all those calls that are coming in. Um, Category, it was mentioned earlier about the the increase in Cat 1 calls. Well, Category 2 calls have gone up as well. Um, They've gone from 25 minutes to an average of 48 minutes in two years. And that is actually leading to more deaths during patient transport. Hmm.
2: That's bad. the uh, ambulance and uh, nurses' situation going uh, on down there at the House of Commons. Evidence being given to the Health and Social Care Committee about why things are so bad, why things are so hopeless, and why things are so badly run. Apparently, it's our fault. We should have known. Stop getting sick. It's as simple as that. This is Talk TV.
1: On your mobile, on your wavelengths. Talk radio and Talk TV.
2: Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV with you all the way through until one o'clock, of course, when Ian Collins will be taking over. Much more going on uh, this afternoon as well. We'll be keeping you updated with the nurses' strike, of course. And I should just mention uh, Terry Hall uh, dying, the special singer, age 33. What an incredible life that man had uh, and what an amazing contribution he made to the, uh, uh, the world of music. And Scar was introduced, I remember, uh, when the specials launched themselves and the beat who were hilariously called the English Beats in America. Uh, madness and all the rest of it. And uh, I saw them at the concerts of Campuchia. We may talk about that a little bit later on. How about this uh, from a text? Mike, I was recently in a private hospital for a couple of days, and every member of the medical team I received care from, from the consultant, anaesthetist, and nurses, all worked full time in the NHS and worked in the private sector on their days off. This is what is wrong with the NHS. But well, I think that's absolutely right. We are, of course, uh, dealing with another nurses' strike today. If you're affected by it, uh, we'd love to hear from you, whether you be a nurse, whether you be a paramedic who are going on strike tomorrow, whether you be a patient uh, or just somebody who's trying to get treatment on the NHS, because we know 60% of operations were cancelled last week when there was a nurse's strike. It just seems to me to be um, untenable that anyone who works in medical care would withhold that care to anyone who's not well. Seems extraordinary to me. Let's talk to Jonathan Gullis, MP, Conservative MP for Stoke on Trent North. Jonathan, very good morning to you.
5: Good morning, Mike. How are you? Yeah, very
2: well indeed. We're here to talk about asylum seekers, of course, and your 10-minute bill, which we'll get to. But, I mean, another nurses' strike today. Um, It it, it fails... I, I fail to see how this is helping solve the problems the NHS have got. I fail to see why nurses think it's good to stop giving care to people. I just find it extraordinary all round.
5: Well, look, I think we all acknowledge the amazing and incredible work that nurses do do on the front line. And, of course, we want to see them get paid as well as they can do. But like you say, Mike, we have to be conscious of the fact that now over 50% of general taxation is being spent on the NHS. So the question actually is, where is this money being spent and where is not being spent properly? Then let's sort that out. And then we can give pay rises within existing budgets. These woke diversity managers that are, you know, and sadly in Stoke-on-Trent, we've started to see an infiltration of this over a hundred thousand pounds a year for Mm. some sort of safe space manager, whatever, Nonsense! This is yeah. you know, these are the type of things that we need to bring to an urgent end, so we can invest in the workforce to actually do the job on the front line. But um, I, all I would say is that nineteen percent, nineteen percent is simply unaffordable. Um, you know, I think Maria Corfield said that seven hundred fifty million pounds per one percent mm. an increase in nurse salaries would be, and so I think that you know the independent pay body review has been doing its work the government's put forward i think what 4.7 to uh, around percent mm. pay increase let's not forget nurses did get 1400 pounds already this year when others in the public sector got no in pay increase so i think we have to have a little bit of realism in here as well yeah. we've got 400 billion pounds we borrowed for covid that we've got to pay back we've obviously got the energy price cap helping businesses helping the nhs helping households as well you know, all this has got to be paid for, and it's the British taxpayer's got well to pay
2: for it. Yeah, absolutely right. And another great drain on the British taxpayer, of course, is the asylum seekers, the illegal migrants who come here day after day after day, costing us uh, upwards of five to seven million a day. Uh, yesterday, a bit of common sense from the High Court, where they ruled that uh, the Rwanda plan is in fact lawful. But already, we've got people jumping up and down, saying, "Well, it might be lawful, but now it's not moral." You know, they can't. You can't win with these people, can you?
5: Look, we're never going to win with these people, Mike, sadly. They're just on their uh, crusade uh, to make sure that this country basically has free movement via the back door. And that's essentially what they want. They use the same people who are angry that the overwhelming majority of this country in the largest ever political mandate voted to leave the European Union. They're angry that they elected a conservative majority government of 80 back in 2019. And so, in essence, they are teaming up with their mates in Labour to figure out how can we return free movement how can we have open borders without it being uh, what they think is obvious to the public because sadly they treat the great british public with contempt they think we're all stupid they think we're all bigoted and racist they couldn't be any further from the truth they're the ones who are the vocal minority on twitter trying to get their likes of their celebrity buddies you and i mike and the rest of the country we understand the importance of having the ability to protect our borders to decide our own laws And in essence, as you say, the High Court said that what we're doing with Rwanda is absolutely legal. And let's hope we can get a flight in the sky as soon as possible, even before an appeals process begins. I see that goes to Supreme
2: Court. Well, that is the point, isn't it? Because the thing about the ECHR, the European Court of Human Rights, is that it is not a binding court by any means, by any stretch of the imagination. There's plenty of countries in Europe that don't pay any attention to it. You know, there's people in Sweden being deported, people in Denmark being deported back to their country of origin without anybody stopping them. So what we have here seems to me to be a collection of sort of lefty cabal lawyers who <laughs> want to completely <laughs> stop it <laughs> Well, exactly. And this is what my tenant rule bill was
5: about last week. Despite some of okay. the uh, the hyperbole from the certain elements of the media and Labour Party got MPs bankers, telling me I was a fascist
2: and a. Uh, and it an just extremist. seems to be some kind of uh, interference on the on the line. For let, Jonathan, let me just stop you there for a second. Not quite sure uh, what was going on there. Uh, we'll come back to you though because there does seem to be something rather strange going on. Uh, once we've cleared it up, uh, we'll let you know. My daughter-in-law, who works in ASDA, reminded me that nurses and others have a red light card which gives them ten percent off. They don't remind you of that, do they? Uh, says Ruth. Well, no, they certainly don't. It's quite extraordinary, really. Uh, these public sector union leaders basically always try to represent these disputes as workers against the government but of course the government is representing the vast majority of us who do not work in the public sector because we are the ones who have to pick up the bill when public sector workers uh, are given money when it was illegal and are now using it throughout the day where is the good news in any of that says mitch i think we go back to jonathan gullis jonathan i don't know what that was it was a very strange sounding voice in the background.
5: Uh, I, there's no one here, so perhaps I'm being haunted, Mike. Who knows? Well, You've been haunted or me.
2: hacked by the Russians or something like that. Yeah,
5: exactly. exactly. No, I think, uh, sorry, what I was saying was my bill in Parliament last week was simply to say we should derogate, as other countries do, who are signatories of the ECHR, from their specific ruling about the Rwanda offshoring policy because the whole point in 2016 was we voted to take back control of our laws and our mm. borders. We were reaffirmed with that in 2019 the general election It's time to now make sure we deliver upon that, because if we don't, the Conservative Party will face the consequences of that in the ballot box. And as you say, rightly, people are sick and tired of hearing the rhetoric. They now want to see the delivery. Mm. And it was a shame that Labour MPs call me an extremist and a fascist, when, let's not forget, they used to sit quietly when Jeremy Corbyn was in charge and their party was found to be institutionally anti-Semitic. The only 2nd ever party in British, British political history other than the BNP to be found guilty of such levels of racism. So... You know, perhaps it's uh, perhaps they should have a look in the mirror before they want to start. Yeah, this thing absolutely right.
2: And Corbyn's still bleating on because he tweeted yesterday about how wrong it was to deport people to Rwanda, a place where, by the way, the United Nations has already agreed is a de- definitely a good location for replacing uh, many refugees from parts of the Middle East, from parts of Scandinavia and from parts of Germany. So it's nonsense. And North Africa as well. The UN has used Rwanda repeatedly as a place to put refugees. So there's no reason why we shouldn't be able to do that. But what do you make of the bishops, by the way? Archbishop of Canterbury and amongst amongst them uh, having a go as well. Basically, these are the same people who think uh, that if you vote Tory, you don't, can't believe in God.
5: Well, Mike, uh, I noticed that one newspaper decided to take one sentence out of a paragraph. So I'll be very, very clear for that newspaper again. We shouldn't see preaching of politics from the pulpit. Mm. It's totally unacceptable that the bishops and the Archbishop of Canterbury in particular feels the consistent need to add his opinion and hide behind the Bible in order to uh, chastise anyone who believes in border control, anyone who wants to vote conservative. And it simply is not their place to get involved. They should be actually looking at their own house. We know there's been wide uh, uh, claims of abuse historically within the Church of England. It would be good to see the Archbishop to be trying to clear up his own house for trying to take a dump on others. I and actually, and making sure that actually the church looks at the fact that less and less people are declaring themselves Christian, because I think that's something that's very sad for a, a country founded on its faith.
2: Absolutely right. Well, I think Archbishop Welby in the past has said he's not actually sure if he believes in God. So, I mean, it's a strange uh, position that he sometimes takes. Uh, speaking of speakers preaching from a pulpit, what do you make of Gary Neville, the footballer, former footballer, who seems to think that uh, workers' rights in this country are just as bad as they are in Qatar?
5: I think Gary is just so insistent on trying to be uh, noticed. I think he's got jealous of the other Gary, Gary Lineker, So and he's now desperately trying to make sure that Gary Neville is the most pompous, self righteous individual on Twitter who wants to virtue signal at every yeah. opportunity. I suspect what happens is Labour press office send him uh, you know, what he wants what they want him to say and then he tries to add his own colour mm. to it. And I think sadly he's probably gone a little bit overexcited and Keir Starmer might be uh, you know, cringing a little bit. Yeah. Although uh, we all know how exciting it was to share the platform with him at a party conference. Look, Gary, if you want to be a politician, run at the next general election. No one will hold it against you. You have every right to do so, and you're entitled to voice your political opinions. But when we want to watch the football World Cup, guess what we want to do? We want to watch football and chat about yeah. football. So please keep your opinions off fo- off the football channels when you're talking and commentating, and keep your politics to the streets or to the uh, to the back benches Maybe one day with the Labour Party in opposition.
2: Brilliant. Great stuff. Jonathan, good to see you. Have a great Christmas. We'll see you soon. Jonathan Gallis, there, Conservative MP for Stoke on Trent North. Talks an awful lot of sense uh, and says the sort of things that you want him to be saying and you want to hear because it's absolutely true to say the, the decision yesterday made by the High Court, which is that it's entirely legal to send refugees stroke asylum seekers stroke illegal migrants to Rwanda while they are processed to see whether they are allowed to come to this country entirely legal entirely lawful uh, entirely doable and that's what should happen it's as simple as that Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand 1000 is the number this is talk tv
1: Fast talk.
2: Street talk.
1: Mike Graham. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people.
6: Solid talk. Hot talk. The independent republic of Mike Graham.
1: Online on DAB Plus, Talk Radio and Talk TV.
2: Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Now, if you looked out the window, certainly in the part of the world in which we are uh, at the top uh, of Talk TV Towers, uh, you can see a beautiful day. The sun shining, the sky blue, uh, not really much of a cloud in sight. A pretty good day to be out on the picket line, actually, if you ask me. Uh, there are some nurses, of course, out there on the picket line, but make no mistake, there are plenty of nurses who are not out there on the picket line in fact a minority you wouldn't know it listening to pat cullen the head of the royal college of nursing but it's a minority of nurses who are actually striking it's a minority uh, of health boards that are actually closing down it's a minority Uh, of health trusts that are not operational uh, and it is a minority of individuals who have actually voted to strike. Now last week you might remember we went down to one of the picket lines at Guy's Hospital and we spoke to a particular striking nurse uh, who was a a, a grade seven nurse, uh, somebody that made somewhere between 45 and 50,000 pounds a year. Now tell me that is an awful lot of money um, and I will tell you it's not. However it is not a small amount of money and it is not a pittance and it is not the likes of Gary Neville would describe uh, as nurses trying to get an extra pound or an extra two pounds. You know they're downtrodden, they're poor, they can't afford to eat, they can't afford to take their kids to school. Well, no, that is clearly not the case. Reality, I'm afraid, bites, and reality sometimes bites back. And if you are affected by the nurses' strike, uh, I would love to hear from you. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. Many of you uh, have been tweeting me today to say exactly uh, that you are. Janine says, "I want Plank of the Week to be Pat Cullen." How much does she earn then give nurses a pay rise subject to a root and branch reform of the nhs let them live on disability benefits for a week and see how that goes exactly right benedict says two things getting on my wick that's being said one ambulance is going on strike but only on non-serious calls i mean isn't it pretty serious if you're phoning an ambulance well it is and two safe staffing levels save lives so just walk out and leave patients then Rob says, I had a hospital appointment for January that got knocked forward to April. Just got another message that it's now in July. You couldn't make it up. I cannot understand them. Um, Carl says, hi, Mike. I'm tired of all the strikes. so I decided to take my 10-month-old 10 10 twins to see Santa. I couldn't believe my ears when Santa said to the kids in front of us, he will try to get to their house. But there are a lot of strikes at the moment. I mean, after all, Santa, sure, surely should be strike-free. He should be able to overcome any method of striking that's going on. Uh, The other news that we broke to in the first hour, Sadiq Khan apparently is going to run for a third term as Mayor of London. Susan Hall had some choice things to say about that. That's all up on our Twitter. Right now, though, let us talk to Laura Dodsworth, author and writer, of course. She's with us uh, just before Christmas. I'm sure she's feeling full of the joys of the festive season. Laura, very good morning to you.
7: Good morning to you, too. And, yes... Yes. Happy festive greetings or whatever we're allowed to say. Winky winter greetings.
2: (laughs) Well, I'm saying very, very happy Christmas to anybody that wants me to say it to them. So I'm going to say it to you as well. I mean, this striking business at this time of year just feels wrong, does it? I mean, it's almost as wrong as having the World Cup uh, in December. Uh, Striking in December seems terribly kind of anti-community, doesn't it?
7: I think very anti-community, it's really depressing that we're getting the 1970s for Christmas with all these strikes on. I think travel's a worry too. You know, I was thinking about um, my my Christmas plans have just changed mm. short notice. And I I was realising I might need to get a train across the country Wait. and I won't be able to because it'll be during the strikes. I thinking, OK, OK, well, I'll drive. And now, of course, you know, there's warnings that the highways agency might strike, and we're to expect gridlocks if there are accidents, That yeah. the smart motorways won't be working properly. Um, it's it is a bit depressing, yeah. isn't it? That it should be so hard to get around the country. It and really of course, is. you know, you, you have you have fears for elderly people who might need emergency hospital appointments or treatment over Christmas. Somebody close to me just had a stroke. Luckily, the nurses aren't striking. In his area, so he he received excellent, excellent service and and his health's in good shape and he's he's discharged. But what would it have been like if there Mm. was a, a strike in that hospital? Well,
2: this is it. I mean, the postcode lottery has never been a truer phrase now because tomorrow when there's an ambulance strike, it's only certain parts of the country that are affected. So if you're lucky, you might be in an area where you can get an ambulance. But the idea that, you know, they're only going to do certain categories of ambulance collection, surely if you need an ambulance, you're in a pretty bad way.
7: Mm, Of course. And, you know, all these different organisations striking now, they're doing over Christmas to create maximum disruption, which is, of course, the point. Mm. But it feels like such a terrible thing to do to the country. So many people um are going to be negatively impacted i i know that um militant union types won't with me, but i think all these strikes could have waited till january
2: yeah i think absolutely right and you talk about the train strikes i mean christmas eve is an absolute killer because we're now being told with most strike days you can get a train usually until about three o'clock in the afternoon but we're now being told that the rmt strike will mean you probably won't be able to get a train much after eight o'clock in the morning which means an awful lot of people who work on Christmas Eve, ordinary hard-working people, who then try to get home uh, to see their families, or go to perhaps another part of the country to see their extended families. They're not able to do it.
7: Mm.
8: Yeah, I'm. I'm literally- Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. in position of wondering how I'm going to see all my family
7: this Christmas too. It's tricky. It's it really tricky. is.
2: It really is. Let's talk about Elon Musk. Um, fascinating week for those who don't like Elon Musk, as I was being told yesterday by loads of lefties. Isn't it great? The vote's going to make him step down. You're kind of going... This is because, of course, he had a, he asked for a Twitter poll on whether he should he stay as CEO. Yeah. Um, and everybody got very worked up, thinking that, of course, if it was voting yes, you should step down, that he would then do it.
7: Well, he has said he will abide by it. Now, I just don't understand what he's playing at, Mike. You know, you're right. There are certain people who are thrilled that he's run this poll and will have to step down because they don't like what he's doing. Mm. But I, I wouldn't assume that he hasn't lined up successors and won't still be um, in charge of the overall direction at Twitter. It's not it's not the blow for free speech and and um, lack of censorship that people hope it is. The problem is that a lot of people are enjoying these polls as well because they see it as a form of deliberative democracy in action. They think it's giving power to Twitter users. I don't see it like that. And I don't understand what he's playing at. Now, if you don't follow him, you don't even know about the polls okay, I know he has a huge amount of traction and his polls get retweeted, but it's quite possible to be a committed, interested Twitter user and not even know about the poll. So it's not really fair in that sense. Mm. Also, where is our guarantee? Where's our cast iron guarantee that if this is how the management and um, the policy setting of Twitter is to be run, that bots aren't actually um, influencing the poll results. It's very hard to get a grip on how much bot traffic there is on Twitter, but one academic report recently put it as up to 15%. Right. So this this changes the results of these Twitter elections. Mm. Um, and he has said that um, in response to that, somebody raising a question about bots, that actually in future, maybe only people who have paid for their tick subscription can vote. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying there are any easy answers to this issues, but Twitter, Um, has been described as a public square. Elon Musk has described it as a public square. If you're saying that Twitter policy and senior staffing decisions are made by a poll, Mm. then you've got to make sure everyone knows about the poll and you've got to make sure that they're fair. And those blue tick subscribers who've paid deserve absolute transparency, they deserve open source transparency about algorithms and about bots. But this isn't really a public square anymore. If you have to pay for your blue tick to vote, this is, this is a club, it's a club for people with a certain income. I know it's not too expensive, what is it, eight pounds a month or mm. something, but still it means it's, it's a gated community, it's not a public square. So I don't understand what he's playing at. And a lot of people could write this off and say, well, it's just Twitter, it's not the real world. No. But let's not make a mistake about this, Twitter is not inconsequential. We know from the Twitter files that he's been releasing through certain independent journalists, that Twitter employees, have been rigging the system. They've been applying what they call visibility filtering. Yeah. That means making certain tweets um, less visible and suppressing accounts or even outright banning people But it's not just the Twitter employees. We know now that the FBI were in regular close contact with Twitter, telling them who to shut down, which tweets to suppress, which accounts to ban. Mm. We know they did it about the Hunter Biden laptop story, which has influenced a real world election in the United States. And we know that they've done it on COVID and on vaccines. So what happens on Twitter is important. If it wasn't important, the FBI, and not just the FBI, but security services probably in all likelihood around the world
2: getting involved yes it is i think you're right you you, you've got to strike a balance haven't you because yes it's important but it's not everything because there are an awful lot of parts of the world that are not on twitter a great majority of the people in the world are not on twitter but yes it's influential but i'm confused to be honest i don't know whether you can help me with this one laura because i don't know where this blue tick thing is going i had a a message from twitter uh, from some guy called jack somebody not that jack um, saying that you know uh, your blue tick will be removed if you don't click this link here today um, and answer this question, which appeared to I hope just you didn't be
8: click it well, it's like just, spam.
2: it just appeared to be some kind of validation type thing, you know, um, mm. and it didn't appear to do anything. So I haven't heard anything. Nobody said to me you need to pay money. Uh, it didn't say that I had to give them. A, I certainly didn't give anybody any money, but it hasn't actually asked me to pay anything.
7: Well, you need to be careful because there's also spam going around in private messages and it's a way for people to get hold of your account. I know right. people it's happened to. Right. So don't don't click on links that come into your direct mail inbox. But um yeah, the blue tick verification is a way for people to play to have their account identity verified. Yeah. Um, but really, it's it's a revenue it's a revenue um, system for the company, and mm. I don't personally have a problem with a subscription model. You know, we we know that in news and journalism, you get better quality reporting often from subscription models. But I do have to take issue with something you said. Twitter does matter. Yes, it doesn't have very very high penetration in parts of the world, but you know, there at Talk TV, you have people who do your social media mm. because this is also how news is disseminated. The majority of people get their news now filtered through social media. So it can be The Sun or The Times or Talk TV, but we're not necessarily just listening to it on the radio. We're watching clips on Twitter or we're reading about it through clicking a link on Facebook. So social media is really important for how people access news, which therefore influences how we how we think about society, politics, how we vote, everything. So it does matter. It's not inconsequential. And at the moment, it's yeah, kind of no, I'm entertaining what's no, all these shots being fired around on, yeah. on Twitter, you know. But uh, we, we the users at the moment, are in the crosshairs. Goodness knows what's going on mm. and what he's playing at.
2: No, I get that. But what I'm saying, I'm not saying it's inconsequential, but what I'm saying is, is that there are many people who don't get their news that way at all. There are still plenty of people who don't have a Twitter account. There are still plenty of people who don't use social media. Yes, it's a very uh, widespread... Um, um, you know, media platform, and yes, people do use it. But what I'm saying is, is I think the people who do use it uh, give it a little bit too much credence.
7: Well, in the UK and the US, about two thirds of people get their news now through social media. It's very high penetration, a lot more than going to a newsstand and picking up a newspaper.
2: Yeah, but there are many other platforms as well. Anyway, I don't want to get stuck and bogged down into that. We're going to come back to you in a moment because TikTok is another place where people go quite a lot. Uh, And TikTok, in fact, some might argue, is even more uh, used by people, particularly younger people, in all sorts of different ways. And we've got a story about the junior doctors of this country who have apparently been posting on TikTok things that they've been getting up to and ways that they've been making more money than actually working in a straight job with the NHS. We shall see more from Laura Dodsworth and Talk TV coming next.
1: The home of common sense. Talk radio and Talk TV.
2: Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We're talking to Laura Dodsworth and we've been talking about Twitter quite a lot. But TikTok's interesting actually, Laura, isn't it? Because TikTok is a slightly less political outlet i suppose you might say it's more used for kind of voyeurism and kind of people looking into other people's lives again that's kind of weird um and we know that during the old pandemic there was an awful lot of nurses doing tiktok ads which have come kind of refer- reverberated on them and, and backfired on them a bit because an awful lot of people reference them even now to me when they say oh what were they making all those tiktok ads for during the pandemic because they were that busy
7: Oh, absolutely! I mean, that was such a bad look for nurses at the time. Do you do you remember these really complicated dance routines? Yes. Yeah. So when we're in the when we're in the eye of the storm, you know, the teeth of this crisis in the COVID pandemic, and we're we're not supposed to be going out to to save the NHS, some nurses had time to develop complicated dance routines. Yeah. Um, if they were doing that in the privacy of their breaks and in their break rooms, they they probably should not have been on TikTok. And of course there's another story which has just come out about junior doctors bragging about the um their earnings as locum doctors since leaving the nhs now when i saw this story the first thing i thought of was my sons i have brought them up to understand that anything they put on social media could be used as evidence against them, yes. either with a future employer, with their peer group, in schools, with me. Now, i've they, that doesn't mean they've been angels on social media by any means. They've certainly posted things I don't approve of. But this shows how things come back to bite you in the backside. So it turns out that um, a junior nhs doctor could earn you know a few thousand pounds a month on their nhs salary but if they leave they might earn seventeen thousand pounds a month as a a locum Mm. so you can see it's a total no-brainer for a qualified educated um doctor who wants to earn more money Mm. but of course we mustn't forget they've been trained at the taxpayer expense too um it's I think this just shows how difficult and disenchanted um doctors are with their nhs Come life on. a recent bma survey showed that half of doctors are planning on leaving the nhs and considering locum work instead yeah i i have a friend who's a gp who um, is a partner and has had to reduce his days right down because the pressures in the job can be really immense but again, this just isn't a good look for doctors. While I understand them wanting to earn more money, these videos on TikTok have a slight air of, of boasting yeah. about them, which doesn't really look good for people who might be on a waiting list. No, but this is the point, you
2: know, and people who say, oh, well, there's a great deal of sympathy for the NHS striking nurses and the striking paramedics. Well, there is, unless you've been uh, given yet another cancellation for an episode uh, that you've been waiting 10, 10 months to have. And suddenly you've been catapulted into next year again because they've decided to go on strike. I mean, I think last week the figure was 60 percent of all procedures that were due to take place in the NHS were cancelled and it will be the same Mm. today.
7: Absolutely. So, I, I don't really know what these doctors are thinking. They're, they're young, they're bright, they're obviously highly intelligent have qualified at doctors, and yet somehow they thought that these TikTok videos would strike strike the right note. Mm. Um, now I know there are some big celebs who go on and talk about how much they earn on TikTok, but, but generally it's not really a very admirable quality to brag about what you're earning or what yeah. you have. So I don't think it's really very virtuous behaviour and it's not a very sensible use of social media. It doesn't reflect well on those doctors and it's obviously going to be a kick in the teeth for people who, you know, maybe they want to support the strikes, um, or maybe they're on a waiting list, maybe they can't get good quality care. Um, maybe they're feeling crippled by this highest tax burden we've had for decades in this country. So these doctors' videos on TikTok are just—they're just inappropriate. They, well, they
2: are, and also let's not forget, it's our—it's our, it's our money. Know. It's our—it's our money they're making. Uh, so in yeah. the end, you know, they're ripping off the NHS because they could be doing a job for a lot less money. Uh, meanwhile, they're charging something like six times what the average doctor's wage would be. But again, I blame the NHS. The NHS is not run very well. You know, the reason that there is no money is because they keep spending it on the wrong stuff. And I was uh, um, talking to people over the course of the last week about this, that, you know, there are no vacancies, for example, for nurses in in any particular situation because they're hiring lots of locums. But then they say uh, they're short of nurses. Well, you can't have it both ways. You've either got vacancies or you haven't. And if you've got vacancies, surely the budget should be allowing for those jobs to be paid for. So there should be a surplus of money. But there isn't that either. There's none of it makes any sense.
7: Yeah, I mean, you have to remember that a low-income salary would be more than a fixed salary, because if you are um, a freelancer, you have to pay into your own pension, yeah. you're not being given holiday pay and sick pay, but this differential seems staggering, and it would appear to be a gross waste of taxpayer money.
2: Yeah, I think there's no question about that. But you'll be pleased to know from the nudge unit, the latest from the ministers of the realm, uh, I, I, is that basically tomorrow, when there are ambulance shortages, it's best if you don't do anything risky.
7: Oh, <laughs> there's, just, there's just there's just no words for this. There's just no words. We're Basically, we should live in little soft padded cells at home, eat our eat our vegan burgers, don't go anywhere, don't get in the car, don't turn the heating on. It, it's, you know, you are I don't understand how we're supposed to live in cold, cold cells, shivering, doing nothing mm. dangerous apart from living our lives in misery at home. It's so depressing. No government should be giving messages like this to its people. No. It's, a, it's abhorrent. It's it, abhorrent it to tell people not to go out and do anything risky. I mean, for one thing, just butt out. It's just none of their business. Yeah. There's very few things I expect from the government. The older I get, the, the the less I want the government to do for me, to be honest, because it all seems to be mismanaged and I don't like a lot of what they do. No. But there's a few things I'd like them to do. That's let's, let's make sure we've got ambulances, fix the potholes, look after the borders. Yes. Oh, and energy. Provide some energy. Give us some energy. Don't tell us to use, don't tell us to use less. Don't tell us to stay at home. Don't tell us to take risks.
2: But you know what the great thing is, is actually most accidents happen in the home. So the more likely it is that you stay home, the more likely it is you're going to need an ambulance. Because if you go out, actually, probably nothing will happen to you. But that's another story. So how are you celebrating Christmas anyway? Tell us.
7: Um, I can't, actually, because my my family plans due to different issues within the family are all in flux at the moment. So um, it's a surprise. Maybe I'll wake up on Christmas Day and have it all figured out. But it's going to involve seeing family, um, eating a lovely big meal and presents, obviously. Yes. So just, and have you just done it normal. All? You haven't
2: Wait, You're not waiting for any. I mean, we did an amazing show yesterday with loads of people who are waiting for their gifts to arrive because they'd ordered them through various, you know, online marketing uh, manufacturers. And so many people are being told that your gift is on its way. Your, You know, your parcel is coming. There's a whole hashtag on uh, Twitter. Uh, Where's my parcel? Because so many people are not getting their parcels this year and it's worse than ever.
7: No, absolutely, I di- I did it early because I was I was worried about all this, to be honest. So um no, everything's wrapped in under the tree. I know, I'm sorry, it probably sounds very smug, but I'm I'm completely I'm completely ready. I'm in party mode now. Oh, yeah. When I can get into London, I'm in party mode. Absolutely, dinners, drinks, um watched Handel's Messiah the other night, I'm gonna try and squeeze in a Carol concert this week. All the work's done. I'm now in fun mode.
2: Okay. Well, I'm very, very glad to hear it and well done. Thank you very much indeed. A very Merry Christmas. Um, We've got Laura Dodsworth of us, And she, one of the things that she did do uh, was last week, nominated Plank of the Week, uh, Cambridge Dictionary uh, for pretending that a woman is a man. We didn't even get to that one uh, because we've got hardly any time to do all the things that we need to do.
1: On the app, on your mobile, talk radio and talk TV.
2: Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Uh, Georgie says this. Many nurses are on NHS Pay Band 5, as are paramedics. Many NHS secretaries are on Pay Band 5. Nurses and paramedics save lives. Secretaries arrange meetings and type. Where's the logic? Well, I think that's interesting, isn't it? I think people get confused. An awful lot of the people I reckon that are out on picket lines today for the NHS, for nurses, are possibly categorised as nurses, but might not actually be what you might call frontline nurses. Certainly the guy that we spoke to last week, uh, who was on grade seven, was certainly not in any way, shape or form somebody uh, who was at the front line. He may have been, and it may well be that at one point he was a frontline nurse, but a lot of them get promoted, a lot of them get put into basically management roles where they get very, very well paid for the job that they do. And so therefore these are the same people also asking for the same pay rise, the same gradation uh, and the same recognition as people who do actually save lives. And I think the problem with those people who are on the side of the NHS striking workers is that they don't realise that an awful lot of them are not actually nurses. It's that simple. The Royal College of Nurses uh, is a union. The leader of the Royal College of Nurses, Pat Cullen, uh, is a left-wing extremist. She is not somebody uh, who believes in democracy. She is not somebody who believes in the Tories running anything. And then she is entirely driven by ideology. There's nothing wrong with that. But let's not pretend that it's all about saving lives. Let's not pretend it's all about making the NHS better, because these people have been working in the NHS for a very long time and all they've done is make it worse so take the bones out of that 0344 499 1000 don't forget of course if you are listening to talk radio in the car and you get back into the house you can watch the program on talk tv uh, on sky 522 version 606 freeview 237 uh, or FreeSat 217 or of course you can watch it on youtube or via the talk tv app which is very easily found all over the place. Now, uh, let us talk to Sam Ashworth-Hayes, writer for The Spectator, because a couple of things to pick up on. uh, We've got the nurses strike today. uh, We've got the paramedic strike tomorrow. We've got a rail strike coming up uh, at the weekend, of course, on uh, Christmas Eve. We'll bring you the advent calendar for the strike of the day coming very shortly. Um, But we've got many other things to worry about, i.e., could there be blackouts over the course of the summer uh, or over the course of the winter? I'm not sure there will be, but there's still plenty of people out there would have you believe it could happen. Sam, a very good morning to you.
6: Morning, Mike. How are you doing? Yeah,
2: not bad at all. Uh, We seem to be surviving so far. The cold snap is over. We've returned to relatively balmy weather. I was driving home, I think, last night. It was about 14 degrees, which is a bit of a turnaround for minus two in just about three days. So, um, you know, for the moment, at least, people, I suppose, will not be putting on their heating to the same extent as they were. Um, So the pressure, perhaps, on the national grid is not what it was.
6: Yeah, exactly. We've, we've had some good fortune with the, uh, the weather turning around as rapidly as it has done. Um, but we still burn through a fairly significant uh, chunk of our stored gas, about 20% or so. Mm.
9: Um,
6: and it's put us in, in sort of a fragile position for the rest of the winter. So if, if things carry on as they are now, we should be OK. Um, but if we're slightly unlucky and we have a period you where know, there's not a lot of wind, there's not a lot of solar coming in, Well, there's more use on the continent, then things could get uh, quite ugly on that. Yes.
2: Well, we were told, were we not, towards the end of the uh, week before last, that people would be involved uh, in a new scheme, whereby if they turned down their electricity or they didn't use it, that they might actually get credits or they might actually get money in terms of cash back to, um, uh, to reduce their own electricity bill.
6: Yeah, um, there, there was some suggestion this is going to be happening. Unfortunately, I don't have the right type of smart meter to take part in it, so I've not been a, I've not been benefiting from. Being well, good away from for the you. House.
2: Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a great believer in uh, telling, uh, being told by the people who produce electricity for which I pay that I should use less of it.
6: Yeah, it, I mean, in in this particular circumstance, I can I can see the logic because we've had such a um, bizarre period in terms of energy generation with the Russian gas getting cut off mm. and. Um, and it, it sort of, it's disrupted the entire European market. And I mean, it would be much better, obviously, to simply have people pay the correct prices for gas. But seeing as the government's decided to give everyone a gigantic subsidy to try and make sure they use as much energy as possible, yes. um, under those circumstances, this is kind of what you're left with in terms of incentives.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely right. And what do you make of the way that um, uh, so far the energy kind of has been doled out over the course of the winter and how they've been trying to avoid blackouts? Because I know that there have been some dodgy kind of uh, energy situations. I mean, before and during some of the World Cup games, there was a bit of a wobble, was there not, on the national grid?
6: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of... um... I mean, I'm mean, i not sure how well known it is, but like the, the peak demand period it, for the national grid is almost always half-time in a major football game because that's when everyone in the country goes and puts their kettle on. Um, and you have this huge load, which that, that's actually what the national grid is basically designed around. Yeah. Um, but obviously, if you have already a slightly precarious power situation, you have a World Cup final on in the winter, which is an unusual time of year, everyone's got the heating on as well because it's been cold, um, you have this huge surge of demand which the grid sort of um, has to handle. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's, you know they've done it very well. They've sort of man- they kept the load up. They've managed everything uh, very well, indeed. Um, but we've used, I think, something like twenty percent of our gas storage over the last week, which now leaves us with you know a, a relatively short supply of about four days' worth of national usage yeah. for the rest of the winter until we get through to the summer again.
2: Right. And what about the Met Office and their role in all of this?
6: Yeah. So the, so this is um, I feel quite strongly about this one. The government has been placing a lot of blame on the Met Office because apparently it didn't warn them that winter might be cold. Um, this is a, this was the government's the government's the geniuses in the cabinet couldn't see this coming That you know, in winter the weather gets colder and there might be some ice around um, and they weren't told and therefore it's the Met Office's fault that they don't have more gas in storage and they don't have more gas lying around um, despite the fact that they closed the gas facilities five years ago. I mean that would be some forecasts so five years ahead there might be a week of cold weather. Yeah. So, I mean, is the
2: government so uh, useless that they have to ask the Met Office what the weather's going to be like?
6: Uh, I I think they're just trying to blame everyone everyone but themselves, because when you actually look at it, most of what's happening now is their fault. They're the ones who said you can't build new power plants. They're the ones who said you can't build interconnectors to Europe. They're the ones who've been pushing us onto sort of intermittent green energy rather Mm. than using uh, fossil fuels, which are more reliable. They're the ones who've paid people to use more gas in the middle of winter. So, you know, they've created this situation and now they're sort of desperately trying to blame someone who isn't them.
2: Well, it's not a very surprising statement, I have to say. Uh, But Sam, thank you very much indeed. Sam Ashworth-Hayes there uh, from The Spectator. The government blaming the Met Office. Can you imagine? Because the weather wasn't what they said it was going to be. Well, I'm afraid I've given up relying on the Met Office many, many years ago. I don't know why the government hasn't as well. But, you know, there we are. We now find ourselves, do we not, uh, in a place where it's barely recognisable, this country now, uh, from the one that used to run quite well, Because it really doesn't run well at all now. And almost anybody that you talk to will say, nothing works. Now, I've been saying this for quite a long time. So what you have to do is take it upon yourself to make sure that you're in charge of everything around you and that you don't take anybody's word for anything. It's as simple as that. Apart from, of course, the Independent Republican Mike Graham. Now... One of the things we promised you, one of the things we will bring you uh, right now, is the advent calendar. Because the advent calendar that we invented, and that others have copied, uh, is of course to tell you which strike of the day is going to affect you. So, uh, let us check out the strike of the day advent calendar and see what's happening. Can you believe it's Tuesday the 20th of uh, December already? As you know, uh, there is a Royal College of Nursing strike. Up to 100,000 nurses, it says here, are expected to take part in action uh, in England. Uh, But of course, Wales, not so much. Scotland, not at all. And Northern Ireland, not very much either. There will be problems, but it's not every single district and it's not every single nurse. And therefore, it is not unanimous, shall we say. Also, of course, the civil service is still out. PCS staff at the RPA are on strike. We mentioned that yesterday dvsa driving examiners continue to strike in the northwest yorkshire humber and north wales so good luck getting a driving exam don't worry though uh, if you do manage to pass your driving test it'll take you a while uh, to get your driving license because the dvla are not terribly efficient either but that is the striking advent calendar of the day We'll find out more tomorrow. Uh, In other news, uh, passport agency workers, it's been turned out, uh, we've discovered uh, one in five of them still not working actually in the office. We discovered that uh, the woman who runs the passport agency hadn't worked in the office for two years, and then suddenly she started going to work. Now it turns out that one out of five, so one-fifth of passport office employees, has never been back in the office since the pandemic. Brilliant. Fantastic. Now, coming up in the next hour, we've got more of your calls to take, 0344 499 1000. We might pick up again on what we were doing yesterday uh, with your packages, which, of course, are going astray and not turning up. And you're having pictures taken uh, and sent to you so that you can have some clue as to where it is not. We're also be talking to James Chiaverini, uh, the owner, of course, of Il Portico, uh, the oldest Italian family-run restaurant in London, about... The perils of the strikes and how it's affecting it
1: took talk Unbridled talk. talk Mike Graham, the only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense in search of the perfect debate
6: The independent Republic of Mike Graham
1: online On DAB+ Plus, talk radio and Talk TV
2: good afternoon and welcome back to the independent republic of mike graham right here on talk tv it is remarkable isn't it that here we are uh, just four days from christmas eve and we seem to have uh, strikes going on all over the place there's all sorts of driving instructors on strike there's nurses on strike tomorrow there's going to be paramedics on strike there's going to be rail workers on strike once again for christmas eve uh, there are people trying to make a living there are people trying to get through this particular winter without having to look all the way around the globe to find whether they can help anybody because sometimes you have to help yourself first. We're going to talk though to James Chiaverini, the owner of Il Portico Restaurant, a man that knows a thing or two about helping others, but also about trying to make sure that he helps himself because he runs a restaurant. He runs three restaurants, in fact, uh, in, in the west part of London called Kensington. Uh, he does it very well. Uh, he's been doing a great deal of things for the local community. This is a man who survived COVID. He survived the lockdown. He survived all of the ramifications of having to close restaurants, open them up outside only, put up outside barriers put up perspex put up dividers make sure that people were standing six inches away from each other further than they were before you know it never stopped But James has come through it all. uh, And now here we are in Christmas 2022. And now the rail strikes are causing more havoc for the hospitality business because nobody really knows for sure precisely how many people are going to be going out. And if they are going to go out, whether they're going to go out late enough in the evening to be able to get a taxi home or a train home. It is a real problem for an awful lot of people and for the hospitality business in general. The nightclub business, which I know a thing or two about, is also suffering. My friend Donald MacLeod up in Scotland has already said to me he doesn't know how many staff to hire. He doesn't know how many how much stock to buy he doesn't know which uh, hours he can really remain open because without trains you never know whether people are actually going to come out or not and it's a bit of a lottery but let's say a very good and merry christmas to james kiaverini who i haven't seen for long quite a long time but i've got a feeling i might be seeing him this week james a very good afternoon to you welcome
8: Hello, Mike. Thanks for having me. Merry Christmas to you
2: too. Yes. No, listen, uh, you've been very busy since the last time I saw you. I've not been back for a while because it's been crazed over here as well. But I'm hoping I might see you on Friday. I'm thinking I might pop into one of your establishments for a pre-party drink. Before we go to you know who's for a um, uh, for a bun fight, um, tell us about first of all, um, you had a very interesting uh, idea about uh, people who couldn't help themselves, people who were actually hungry, people who did need a bit of assistance, uh, and you started giving them pizza. Tell us about that.
8: Yeah, effectively, we um, we started up the London's first ever free pizzeria for struggling families in the in the neighbourhood. Um, we operate in Kensington, which is renowned for being a luxury destination, a luxury area, but what a lot of people don't know is that behind the facade of the 50 million pound houses, there's an awful lot of struggling families that need help. I think it's in the top 20% of deprived boroughs in the UK. And uh, what we did is uh, we started a Wednesday through to Sunday free pizza for struggling families. Any families that are struggling to feed their children, normally single mothers working two jobs or even three jobs, can't be there for dinner, they can bring their kids by after school, and pick up up to four pizzas every day, five days a week, free of charge. Brilliant. And is that being used by a lot of people? Yeah, it is. We've been very, we've been very pleased about the take-up of it. We printed out uh, 750 key rings to make sure that they distributed to the right families to make sure that people didn't start taking the pick. Right. And we're really pleased to see that, um, yeah, it's been it's been really well received, and it's obviously needed. I mean, in one sense, you don't want it to be successful, because, right. you, you know, you don't want to face the reality. But the reality is that there are kids going uh, hungry in the neighbourhood, and... We all have to look after each other if we're going to get out of this mess.
2: Absolutely right. And speaking of getting out of the mess, I mean, you had all manner of uh, difficulties and all manner of impediments to trying to actually run a business. Not least uh, that famous day when I was there and you had to in order to dismantle the outside uh, sort of perspex screens because Hammersmith Council weren't happy with the fact that you or Kensington Council wasn't happy uh, with the fact that you'd had enough air coming through the top of it. I mean, it was ridiculous, wasn't it?
8: It is. But I mean, that's just bureaucracy for you. I mean, and that, that really just summed up the whole COVID response thing. You know, it was everything was political. Every, nothing made any sense. There was no joined up thinking, mm. but we're all out of it now. And now we need to get the economy going and we need to get busy and we need to get people people spending, get people enjoying themselves and get those cough, get those tills ringing for Christmas. Yeah. And how has that been going? I mean, have you had more or less back to normal
2: kind of activity?
8: Yeah, we've been we've been actually pretty stable. I have to say, Mike. I mean, I'm very I'm very pleased about that. We're a very small restaurant, as you know. We've only got 20 tables. It's not the biggest restaurant in the world to fill. I think that there are a lot more um, a lot more places, maybe in the city of London, that are going to struggle more. Maybe London Bridge. Yeah. That they, they rely more on consumer and certainly more on passing trade, which we don't really it doesn't really affect us as much. But as a general rule, the the industry is in a hell of a mess. And, uh, and the government needs to sort of step in and try and help out if they can. But I can't see it happening. So down to us.
2: Yeah, well, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, look at all the trouble that Rishi Sunak got into for his eat out to help out scheme uh, when they yeah. reduced the VAT. It didn't stay down for long. I mean, I was dis- I was rather sort of disgusted to discover that I thought Sadiq Khan had taken away the congestion charge for the weekends. But it turns out he hasn't. And it's still there and it's always been there. And if you happen to have to drive into central London because you can't get a train, you're going to be paying 15 quid just for the privilege of doing it
8: yeah exactly and then you've got the parking and then you've got everything else on top and then you've got the carnage of the, of the train strike so it doesn't bode well for somebody trying to strike, trying to run a business doesn't no, it, like
2: it really doesn't and and as far as the uh the sort of christmas period goes when would you normally be expected to do most of your business because an awful lot of parties would have been going on last week i think when the yeah. strikes were on did you did you suffer then
8: we did a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, to be quite honest with you, I know friends of mine who run uh, several restaurants in the city. And he was telling me that at three restaurants, he had two reservations. I right. mean, that really is disastrous. And, you know, remember as well, Mike, that, you know, restaurants typically employ an awful lot of people. It's a very high labor dependent business. We pay a lot into the treasurer's coffers for NIC and uh, and national insurance payments and PYE schemes. And uh, and if people aren't earning, government's not not getting a slice of that revenue.
2: Yeah. No, of course they're not. And I mean, as far as the VAT is concerned, there was an awful lot of talk of um, in, the, in the autumn budget, the autumn statement that you should try and reduce VAT for uh, for restaurants at least so that people could go out and, and spend that money um, and not have to pay through the nose for it. But that kind of fell on deaf ears, didn't it?
8: It did very much so. I mean, at the end of the day, we're a small we're a small industry in terms of our in terms of our collaboration, but we're a big industry in terms of the coffers. And I think that's therein lies the problem. The Treasury think that they can sort of squeeze it a little bit and we won't put up too much of a fight, unlike the big tech boys that seem mm. to get away with murder. Yeah. So what
2: about this week? Would you be seeing a reasonable uptake this week because the strikes are, are back off again?
8: Yeah. Well, I mean, now the school holidays are finished. Everybody's back off. Everybody's clocked out of the office now. Mm. All the out-of-offices are on. So now this week's pretty much the end of it. The problem with December really is that you've only got a three-week month, so you've got to basically work thirty percent more in the first three weeks in order to break it, to, to in order to make ends meet. Hmm. And the problem that you've got is that with with the rail strikes, that just doesn't help us. No, of course. And and would you normally be open on Christmas Eve? No, no, not since having ch- kids, Mike. Not for all the teen China now. I've got three <laughs> little ones, four, six, and eight. So I'll be I'll be uh, putting muddy footprints put- put around the house and leaving half eaten mince pies around the place. Yeah. That's,
2: well, that's obviously a very good idea. And in terms of like the way that um, uh, that your business is run this year, I mean, we forget that last year um, was the year that Chris Whitty said, don't bother having a Christmas party. So even just at the last minute, a lot of that was kind of kicked, kicked into touch. You've only really yeah. had a sort of normal, I suppose, normal economy, if you like, since about
8: February. haven't you? Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. So last last December was a washout of omicron mm. the december, december before that we won't even go there so this is the third december in a row that we're really struggling to uh struggling to do it and for a lot of restaurants you know that christmas period will account up to 30 percent of their revenue going forward so we all know that january is a very lean month february we've got half term and then we're into the easter holidays right so really you've got to get through to the springtime now and a lot of places will be counting on that christmas trade to get them through to april may mm exactly
2: right and what about the staffing thing because you've always told me it's been tough um since the pandemic really since the lockdown to get enough staff to operate uh, with how's that going
8: it's going a little bit better now uh the, the the situation's eased up a little bit it's still quite difficult we'd still like to see a few more um some more targeted visa schemes for for industries that need them like hospitality and care homes and and, and the like so we can get the right people that we need to to do the jobs. But we are getting there, and, and, and restaurants are responding. Um, I have to say they're responding pretty well as well, in the sense that most mm. places have implemented better training schemes now very quickly. So we're getting there, Mike. We are getting there. And I
2: know you've said to me before that you've got a reasonably good situation with your sort of energy supply. You've got a, a, a yeah. cap, I think, or you've got a fixed rate going on the electricity front. But what about all the other sort of pay rises that you've got to take into account, the cost of uh, things that you're buying?
8: just got to take it on the chin mike that's just the way it is just pass on what you have to pass on in order to stay in business and the rest of it you just have to absorb yeah it's very different to anybody else doing business mike it's you just gotta you just got to take the take the rough with the smooth i'm afraid
2: yeah but that's what you always do though incredibly i mean you, you manage to sort of somehow get through it all because we hear from an awful lot of people that the cost of living has gone up because they've had to put prices up because everything's more expensive um have you found that that's what you've had to do i mean have your prices gone up on yeah. the menu
8: you have to mike you have to at the end of the day there's no point you can't serve you can't there's no point digging yourself an early grave and going out of business just to keep people happy yeah you've got to do what you've got to do you know when you're on an airplane and they give you the safety the safety spiel first they always tell you to put your own mask on before helping others yeah and that's what everybody has to do everybody has to make sure that they've got what they need to make sure that they're fit and healthy so that they can go out and they can do a, a, a 12 to 16 I'm putting a good shift for the economy and then they can look around and try and help out other people, too. But you've yeah. got to look after yourself, Mike, first.
2: Yeah, listen, absolutely right. And I'll be there soon to look after you, hopefully. Um, maybe, maybe I'll see you on Friday if all goes well. James Chiaverini, thank you very much indeed. The owner of your Portico restaurant. Uh, if you've never been there, it's a great place to go. Check it out. And it's not as expensive as you might think either. Uh, let's talk to Stephen, who's in Northampton. Hi, Stephen. Good evening, Morning, Mike. How are you doing? Very well, sir. What can I do for you?
10: Well, I was just... You know, I mean, you're a great word, Smith. I met you years ago when Fleet Street was Fleet Street. Yes. You know, I in I'm 74. Go on. Sorry. And uh, I was just saying, you know, the, the language now, Mike, I mean, all this word govern, 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 I thought politicians were there to serve us. Yes. You know what I mean? You know, and they're not doing that. I mean, I'm absolutely disgusted. I don't like strikes any more than perhaps you do, but... I think there's so much frustration today that people, you know, I mean, all the con men and the rip-offs, you know, you know no more about it than I do. Yeah. You know, I just, just get so angry. Mm. I look at my grandchildren and my you know, great-granddaughter and I think, what sort of future have we got here, mate? Yeah. Yes.
2: So do you think, so you have sympathy with the Strikers then, is that what you're
10: saying? Um... <clears throat> I don't think strikes at the end of the day really solve the problems. So I thought we could be a bit more mature in this day and age, yeah. and and have, use our brains a bit and sort of start, you know, doing something positive. I like can. It's just frustration, you know.
2: Yeah. No, I get that. And I think a lot of people are frustrated, but the strikers are actually making even more people frustrated. I think, Stephen, I take your point. 0344 499 1000. Benedict says your earlier caller Mark may want speed restrictions lifted on smart motorways, but highways operators are out on strike, too, along with the Border Force. Don't worry, we can have carnage on motorways uh, this Christmas. Well, the thing is about the highways agency, many people are saying if the highways agency go on strike, what is it that they actually do? I'm not sure. Uh, Do they control the speed limit on various motorways, which are uh, maybe variable? Do they make sure that motorways get shut whenever there's a crash? Is it their responsibility to keep an eye on all the traffic cameras? Because I don't know what happens if they don't do that. I have no idea, literally no idea. Presumably the government and whoever runs the highways agency would say, we need to get some people in there to do the job. Otherwise, nobody can drive. You imagine if the government came out on Christmas Eve and went, look, we're really sorry. Uh, There's no trains, uh, but you also can't drive anywhere there would be absolute mayhem because people wouldn't buy it, would they? They wouldn't take it and neither should they. 0344 499 1000 is the number. We'll take more of your calls coming next.
7: Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
2: If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499
1: 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more.